You can check out all the episodes of the Table of Truth on our website, www.tableoftruth.com. <laughs> Welcome, everybody, to the Table of Truth once again. It's your man, Cam. With me, as always, is... The other Cam squared, looking like anybody's child, Cam. <laughs> as well as... Uh, this is Josh, aka the Black Professor Xavier, <laughs> and we're back in the middle of the craziness. But before we talk about the crazy, we wanted to start with something at least a little bit more. Uh, I mean, it's kind of positive. Is it kind of positive? Michael Jordan's The Last Dance. <laughs> As a nickname, Jordan is not popular. Yeah. It all depends if your team faces Jordan in the finals. Basically. Nick Basically. fans were probably going through some PTSD watching some of those highlights. You, you, you do not lie. You do not lie at all. It's painful. Yeah, I think, uh, um, I think it came... I give ESPN a lot of credit because, man, they were really hurting for content. And, like, I think dropping what? that at this time, <laughs> mm-hmm. it, like, saved them because it was the – it took everyone's mind off of the the COVID stuff, off of Trumpito. And it finally just gave right. everyone some type of sports something to cling on to. And I think it was, like, must-see TV type situation that uh, – I'm not sure. I don't think even uh, – the filmmakers and Jordan then realize how much the the world needed the last dance at this moment because we ain't got nothing better to do. We had nothing to <laughs> well, watch. Were, I mean, they were originally supposed to drop it in July after the finals. Oh, what I smart. remember hearing. I think that was the plan. And once, basically, once everything sort of dried up, uh, with with sports pretty much coming grinding to a halt. I think what wound up happening was they basically just threw every editor, like all their top flight editors just took a chunk of it and cut it mm, smart like they just assigned editor from what i hear every editor had a producer or like a, an assistant producer mm-hmm. that was attached to them to uh to sort of get it out the door and they just they pummeled through it in like a couple of weeks wow that last half of it that's crazy but it's kind of smart though because i mean dude they were playing fucking ping pong shit and like <laughs> dog that game of course was the most painful thing i've ever seen i, I didn't watch it on purpose and it just sounded bad uh, <laughs> i refuse to watch it i like i'm not that desperate for sports like whatever <laughs> you know what i'm saying my like mom, i love sports but it wasn't that serious didn't they uh my mom is a huge basketball fan and she was like are you serious this is really what they're doing right now didn't they- they're seriously playing a game of horse didn't, Why is this on television? Didn't they show uh, <laughs> NBA players playing like NBA 2K or something like that too? Something like that. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. What's funny we, is we were... they had they had um they they had uh, international soccer players playing FIFA on on uh was it on Twitch? On they were they were doing uh, something and that was more entertaining than watching these dudes play Dude. NBA 2K Dude. and watching them play horse. The uh the F one uh drivers they got them all like legit seats and the freaking wheels and all that and then they what? all and they all played 
like all the legit F1 uh, players, uh, Rick just sent me this, and they all they all like all logged on, they all were driving, and then they had the the Chirons, they had the graphics package, they had uh, commentators stream in, and they and it was it, it looked like a full on a full on F1 racing match. It was like insane, and, and like kind of fire. It was pretty dope, and it was also kind of cool because they would like switch the cameras when the, the the drivers and like you know because they you know, those things cost about you know. 500 to a g maybe two g's but it's nothing for them for the sponsors just to get it for all their drivers and then everybody at home is sitting there driving and they got the pedals and the whole nine so like that was pretty involved that's super dope but yeah i was the the horse thing i couldn't i couldn't do man i don't even understand why why i'm not one who thought of it was going to be a good idea two who actually had to produce that crap i feel bad for them and then three having to even like try to just wrangle it to make it like watchable ugh Ugh. But dude, then the broadcast itself was just horrible quality. Like having produced, having having run the tech side of of remote, like live remote. I've I've done my my fair share of those as a technician. I've never seen anything the quality of what those the, that horse that game of horse was, was was like. I've never seen anything that bad. So with that, with the last dance. I thought it was interesting because part of it was, you know, the actual subject matter, but it was also interesting to see all the people that were showcased in it that kind of chime in after or before it or during it. So, like, you heard from Isaiah Thomas, even like Robin would chime mm-hmm. in and, and Pippin. And, like, I mean, of course, there was Spice, you know, throughout, but it was interesting to see everybody kind of like, uh, that's not what happened. Or, yeah, that's what happened. Or, like, ooh, I'm surprised they said that. <laughs> Right. Um, so why was Justin Timberlake interviewed? <laughs> uh, oh wait, what, when was he interviewed? In, in one of the little interstitial joints in between? I, I guess, yeah. He was in the intro and he was interviewed for whatever reason, but yeah, I don't know if he's from Chicago or nah, he has the plethora of Jordans. <laughs> I don't know. And him being on that video is like Eminem being on the album Griselda. It just did not fit. Um, wow. I, I just didn't get it. I get a Carmen Electra. She was there. Sure. You know what I'm saying? Right, yeah. yeah that makes sense. Uh, but, you know, I just didn't understand why she or he was being interviewed. Outside of that, um, overall, it wasn't a great documentary i still hold the oj 30 for 35 part series as the one of the best sports documentaries i've seen um but this is yes uh, but this is very entertaining especially during this time when we had nothing to watch um outside of your streaming services but um i i I was kind of misled um and we we talked about this on our chat on what's up chat and um i felt i shared the same uh sentiments as our fellow TLT member, Dwayne Merchant, uh, saying that the, the, the pacing was out of sorts. And correct me if I'm wrong, I was led to believe that The Last Dance was going to talk about the last season, the whole season of the Chicago Bulls being together. I didn't necessarily think I was going to get a whole backstory because we already kind of know Jordan's history with his father, the first three rings, yep, yep, he had to yep. go through Detroit. This is like all common knowledge. What I didn't know was some tidbits, and obviously this is the Jordan, this is why I call it the Jordan propaganda piece, uh, <laughs> that 
he kind of brushed over the gambling issue, you know, mm-hmm. very lightly. Basically, he was saying that, you know, oh, I gamble, no big deal because I got money. Let's move on. Um, mm-hmm. I was on Twitter following some, uh, I don't want to say credible sources, but just sources that kind of are in the know and have their own personal sources. And, and they're kind of respected on Twitter for their basketball knowledge. And one thing that one guy, one particular follow had highlighted was, it's not the fact that Jordan gambled, but he didn't read the room. Jordan was gambling on a normal with his players. He didn't understand he was actually gambling with real gangsters or real people who are really with the quote unquote shit. So word. (laughs) I I don't like, I don't want to say, Oh, Jordan got kicked out of the league for gambling, but I read something where because Jordan is the face of the NBA, it comes out. Jordan is gambling with unsavory folks that not only damages his his reputation as being the best player and the face of the NBA, but the NBA itself being the head guy. David Stern knew this. David Stern did shoot down the, no- the notion to say that he didn't get suspended because of gambling. He was going to get suspended because he was going to leave a black mark. And he was like, look. Tarnishing the reputation. Makes sense. Yeah. So they, Stern, from what I read, said, you either take a break or we're going to have to suspend you because of your ties, not because of gambling, but who you were gambling with, because that's a big deal mm-hmm. because they were starting to look into it. Also, right. Jordan would lose his Nike deal mm-hmm. if he got caught up. I mean, that so makes in sense. order for that okay. to go away, in order for that to go away, he, he, he had to disappear and that had to disappear. You don't talk about Jordan. If Jordan's not playing basketball, no one's going to look into the gambling as right. much as it is if he was playing. Because Jordan obviously was trash. Don't believe it. I don't. I'm not buying a narrative that Jordan could play baseball. Don't give a shit. <laughs> Jordan was trash at baseball. He was, granted he's athletically gifted, but it's hard. Even the best baseball players that transition to sports, Deion Sanders and Bo Jackson, were. Deion was great at football and he was average at baseball, but he was dope at baseball. He was good. He could play. Right. Bo right. could play baseball when he committed mm-hmm. to baseball. Jordan was there on a hiatus, and yeah. he yeah. he was on vacation. One hundred percent. Yeah, Jordan was on and, vacation, and, and he he didn't have no business being with that team. But the only reason he was playing with that particular squad, I think the Double A squad, is because the facilities couldn't uh, hold Jordan's pool as an athlete of basketball, being the greatest athlete of basketball, with the low right. tier that he was supposed to play with. So they put him up, skipped him a couple classes, and he was trash. And it was also disrespectful to people that have been grinding. Anyway, mm-hmm. however, the overall thing, I just didn't agree with the pacing of it. Uh, I thought I was going to get more of the last dance, the quote-unquote last season. But there were some interesting tidbits of the, the unsavory folks Jordan was gambling with. The Rodman story, I, I, Rodman is a is a, a basketball savant in my eyes. Um, I mean, honestly, they should they should have just done a whole thing on Robin himself, dude. <laughs> they do. They already like, have one. Bro, you, could do a, you could definitely do just a documentary on yeah. Robin. I mean, when they um when they did the uh was it the Pistons when they did the Bad Boys one, that one was awesome. Like that yeah. that yeah. one was great. I mean, it was it was great to see how everyone talked about Rodman as a kid then, and then juxtaposed to him after he left, and how they mm-hmm. pre- how. The whole team looked at him as kind of like the kid they got to protect to make sure that, like, you know, like every person talks about him in a protection type of role. 
And then they yeah. all have great respect for his game and all that. They're like, all the shenanigans and all that other stuff, that's cool, whatever. But like, as a, they all respected him as a basketball player. Yeah, uh, quick hits with uh, this. Uh, mm-hmm. Pippen took a 360 deal. Uh, he was vastly <laughs> underpaid. Mike was talking greasy. Yeah. yeah. Mike was talking greasy every episode. <laughs> Dry snitching <laughs> on the cocaine 85 bulls or whatever. Uh, Every so episode, he was out. I've heard that. Wow, that's crazy. Exactly. <laughs> Scott Burrell, shout out to Scott Burrell. He is a bigger man than I am because, Word. granted, uh, that's what it took. Jordan was an asshole and he bullied some people, and he did, and some people wasn't getting bullied. But Scott Burrell is a bigger man than I am because if I'm on that team and you're questioning if I'm gonna jump through holes, if I see you going through holes, I'm gonna fight for you, but you ain't about to. Pimp slapped me and called me a hold of my face. And granted, different times, different era. I get it. But I'm a man just like you a man, and I'm going to feel some type of way. Um, but Scott Burrell maybe needed that, and, you know, Godspeed to him. Um, lastly, Phil Jackson broke up the Bulls because he didn't want to come back. <laughs> he was over mm. it. So, um, but, yeah, again, cool documentary, lots of uh, – footnotes for the people who did not see Jordan play mm-hmm. and don't understand why our generation considers him the GOAT. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's A lot of people were like, I didn't, I, I didn't know Jordan did this. I'm like, yeah, he did that. And if you see Kobe, now you understand why Kobe is who he is and why he is that way. Because Kobe was just as much as an asshole as Jordan in different ways. Maybe, yep. maybe even more. So... Yeah, I think that's the other thing too. I think it gave a lot of a lot of the quote unquote kids that only heard of Jordan in stories and you know the big ups, but now they got to kind of see a little bit mm-hmm, more mm-hmm. of like why people put him up there. And like I yeah. think I think before you know it's like I said, it's, if you're not you know a lot of people that uh, that knew who Jordan was caught him. They were young when he when he at the end of his his run. And so that's why, you know, for them, Kobe is their dude. And then the, even the younger people are there. For them, you know, LeBron is their dude. So I think that's another thing, too, that for the younger kids to kind of watch them and kind of see why everyone uh, puts Jordan up them, puts them up there on that uh, that plateau. Mm-hmm. I think for me, the documentary, I, I like the documentary. It was good, you know, as a, as a, as a Nick fan, you know, gave me a couple of coronaries and flashbacks and some, like him <laughs> and some PTSD flashbacks. But uh, but by and large, it was good. It was it was a well told story. I don't necessarily think I had the issues that Cam had with it. Um, and they and to be honest, I think they stretched for content. You know what I mean? Like I think if you just left it at the last dance, you probably could have done it in half the episode. Um, but because they were so stressed for content, uh, they they threw in all the extra backstory stuff that probably was already there or touched was touched on. And they sort of stretched it. Uh, Scotty Pippen being as country as he is, I forgot all about that. I did not know that that was from the back roads of Arkansas. <laughs> yeah. I did not know. That's funny. That dude, man. Um, quick hits. Uh, I mean, like I said, just, you know, PTSD from from, from being a Nick fan and, and almost being there and being like, that's probably the one com- complaint that I do have about the about the documentary. Like they really dug into a lot of teams that gave the that gave the Bulls headache, and we we didn't get run over often. Like we when we got trapped, we we when we got mangled, we got mangled like everybody else. 
but it wasn't like Jordan was just walking into the garden, you know, with a W guaranteed. Like that was a war every single time. It wasn't like he just walked out of there with a W. Um, I mean, blame blame Charles Smith, man. <laughs> like I said, blame Charles Smith. Y'all I did had not that. mention him by name on purpose because <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. I get emotional. And, um, they need to have a talk they, about Charles Smith. They need to have Nick's therapy sessions, dude, where they all the Knicks come together on a Zoom and and talk talk about the their memories and they can all kumbaya together because there's a there's a lot of trauma there. But man. yo, I. <laughs> I actually uh, saw an interview with Charles Smith about a year or two ago, and he like he works in finance. He has a finance uh, a financial firm, uh, a mutual like he runs a couple of mutual funds, and he's like, "Yo, anytime I come to New York and I do a seminar or I do a talk or or whatever it is that I do, inevitably someone will still come up to me and be like, "Yo, man, how come you didn't just go up and try to get filed?" <laughs> <laughs> He said every single time that he's in New York, that's it, cr- it comes up. There's not a single was, time that he sets foot. That's crazy. He was a good player. That's what was wild to me. Crazy. Like, uh-huh. Every uh, time, I don't know. No matter what. Whatever. <laughs> but either way. I, 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 I also um, feel some type of way about certain teams the Bulls face as well. I, I felt the first run, like, you know, people always say that the, what is the 72 and 10 team was the best team. I always thought. What year was it they faced Phoenix? Was it 93? Yeah. That was his last year before his first retirement. I thought that 92-93 Bulls team was the best team I ever saw because that was Jordan at his athletic prowess. And Phoenix had no answer to – I think they put Dan Marley and KJ on it. He ate their ass up, like just bucket, walking bucket, right? Um, I also felt that – because at the end of the documentary, not to cut you off, Josh, sorry about that, but there was one thing I, I noted – that the general manager had said he wanted to bring team back. Because uh, everybody thought Jerry, for, for all the shit Jerry Krause gets, he did put a super squad together. And he, right. after Jordan retired and came back the first time, he replaced the Horace Grants, the B.J. Armstrongs, the Paxons with Kerr, Rodman, and Randy Brown and all them players. So he he was integral mm-hmm. in those, 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 uh, those teams. But... Jordan had mentioned at the last episode, he's like, I ne- I didn't know Reinsdorf had approached Phil. He's like, I always had my theories about it, but I didn't know he did. And this is the first time I'm ever hearing something. And Reinsdorf had mm-hmm. said, yeah, I approached Phil, told him, hey, come back. Could you come back? Phil was like, no, I don't want to do it. But Jordan was like, man, if you just said, give everybody a one-year deal, let's run it back one more time. Because I think at the time he was getting paid $33 million. Pippen mm-hmm. definitely needed to get paid. Um, Rodman. Yeah. You know, bring him back one more time. He said, "Will we the one? I don't know, but it would have gave us a shot to see if we could." I honestly believe they were they were they were done. They were washed. Outside of Jordan, Pippen was like, "I'm out." He's Rodman was done. He'd been in the league so long. That whole team was people were going to catch up to them, and they were going to get beat. I think it was Although, a good team, good 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 Although, year for Jordan to leave. I think. Well, you know what? I, I don't know. I think. I think. Portland Trail Blazers Pippen is very underrated. And I'm not a Scottie Pippen fan, fan by any stretch of the imagination, but that was a solid squad they had when he was in Portland. As a squad, yes. As an individual. When he was with the Bulls. Oh, as an individual. He was, he was, he was, yeah, 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 yeah. That's what I'm old saying. Man. He was. Yeah, he's he, old man walking. He, he, at the time, when he was with the, the Bulls, he was considered the second best player at that time. Um, right. But 
what I'm saying, people, because people are like, oh, the Bulls would have ran eight straight. No, they wouldn't have. And this is why no, I say this. We, we, we just saw the Warriors physically break down, right? Right. It's hard to win three straight, let alone four straight. I haven't seen it except when the Celtics was playing the KKK in that in that era. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But <laughs> to sit here and simplify and just say, because, yes, Jordan did win three, took a year and came back and won three. He also had fresh legs. And he was a different player, and right. the league had kind of changed. But I also say, you know, Hakeem, that team was that team, and Hakeem was fasting yes, was. during the month of Ramadan. So you literally got to you got a player who's literally hungry for a chip. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, so that's a whole different argument. Could they have beaten them? Possibly. Would they? I don't think so. I think they would have gave the Bulls problems. Yeah, and I also felt like, man. If George Carl would have, like Jordan was lying on that video saying that Gary Payton don't give me give him no problems, he could have said, "Craziness, craziness." Gary Payton made me work for it a little bit harder than the rest of the time. Anybody Jordan else is never going to give up. He's never going to give it. Yeah, credit. Jordan never, was big lying on tape saying that you could look at the numbers. We all saw the game. Gary Payton when he got put on Jordan, he he didn't shoot the same. He wasn't getting the easy buckets. And he didn't back down. I always felt mm-hmm. like if George Carl maybe made a switch, what Gary Payton game one, for whatever reason he didn't, maybe we'd be talking a different story. Who knows? But that's all hindsight. Might be. Possibly. Yeah. Possibly. 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 Gary, I mean, Gary Payton and Sean Kemp was a one-two punch, boy. Yeah. I, I miss that that Sean Kemp energy, dude. <laughs> yeah, Kemp, Just Kemp, like... Payton, Shrimp, uh, Sam, Sam Perkins. That list shrimp. Oh, man, um, I forgot about that guy. Yeah, they had squad. They they won sixty games. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm. I'm as you guys are talking, I was like, I was was like, the Sonics. I was like, oh yeah, I forgot about that. They were freaking that year, dude. Sean Kemp was. And Sean Kemp was giving Rodman the business in that series. Absolutely, completely forgot about them. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, the the best part about Last Dance was it was given. A good Jordan snitching. Yeah, <laughs> Jordan snitching was. The, I think Jordan snitching was like the the funniest part, and I think that that's what I think. And then I, you know, the the other best part of it was when it ended. Everyone that came out after that was like, that was bullshit. <laughs> this is Jordan propaganda. You know, like, oh yeah, people. I like that. It was, no, it was. I mean, it but was. I, but Jordan I like probably, that we're in an it era. Really was. But it was it, a puff piece. But I think that's well. I like that we're in an era that those people can easily come through and call it out. Like as you know what I'm saying. Like like if this was you know. Right after the, if it was just in the early two thousands or whatever, I don't think you would have seen as much. But now that like the access to all these different types of people is readily available, people can kind of tell their own stories to make sure that you know, like everyone said, like you said, Pippen legit took a three sixty deal, and everyone else kind of can come in and t- and talk about what they need to talk about. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the, if, if Horace Grant sees Jordan on the street, it's a problem. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to get these grants like Horace. Um, Somebody lying. Somebody's definitely lying. Yeah. I agree with that yeah, wholeheartedly. 100%. 100%. Um, and I lean toward Jordan being the one that's lying. <laughs> Horace, Horace Grant has nothing to gain. Absolutely well, he, zero to gain. Jordan was lying on Isaiah. Isaiah's been getting a bad rap, but Jordan definitely uh, kept Isaiah off the team. That that's that's straight I don't up like true. neither one of them, so I'm fine with it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but like the pettiness of Jordan kept Isaiah off arguably the greatest teams assembled. Like there was no reason. Agreed. Agreed. Like 
Like Bird was a legend, but Bird was like a shell of himself. You know what I'm saying? Like you could have mm-hmm. easily bumped Pippen off that squad for for Isaiah. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah, easily, easily, easily. Or, or if 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 and if the rule was, and we also know if the rule was to keep a college player, Christian. To his credit, Christian Leitner did have an amazing collegiate career, but we all know Shaq was supposed to be there. He did not deserve to be on that. Yeah, Chris, first of all, let me, let me just, let me just, Christian Leitner is one of the most overrated centers in <laughs> the history of the NBA. No, that's, he is not. No, he is not. There is a guy okay, named Sean Bradley. Michael, so, oh, Sean, so he's no, not Sean Bradley. Fine. <laughs> no, no, Michael Oluwakandi. Mm. the number one pick. Olo on Candy, forgot terrible. about him. He he didn't get a chance to prove himself. He didn't get a chance to even prove himself. He, how long did he? Because he sucked. <laughs> That's why. But yeah. I mean, yo, the the Leitner uh thirty for thirty that shit was kind of dope too. <laughs> um, well, I would to, prefer to Cam to answer that. <laughs> the um, what, what? the nah, the Leitner thirty for thirty. The shit was it was alright. It's worth watching. I mean, I don't watch it because I hate Duke. I'm a Kentucky fan. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, that was I, um, anything in Duke can burn in hell. So, but yeah, but I mean, the overall thing was, you know, the last dance was a good um, distraction from like all the stuff that was going on, uh, you know, wh- whether it's with the quarantine and COVID and with, uh, all the Trump shenanigans. And that's the part that's been good. But now that it's ended what? and then Trump shenanigans <laughs> and now, what? but now, that's crazy. now that it's ended, you know, that's when you get into now, like, you know, because sports is definitely a welcome distraction from a lot of different things. People use that as their balance. But now that there is no sports, last dance is finished. There's no Tiger King. Damn, people are just left with their own thoughts and feelings. <laughs> and uh, now, never a Tiger King. Yeah, I know. And then now, uh, but <laughs> but with all that being said, now the the seeping in of current events and everything else is now laid bare. There's nothing to really distract people on. And now that that kind of comes into our current state of affairs. And that, boys, is how you segue. <laughs> that, that, was, that was smooth. That was smooth. I heard, I heard you working. I heard you working. I heard you working. So that's a, it's 100, 155 episodes, fellas. So you know that's how, that's how you do it. That's how you do it. True. <laughs> but yeah, true. so you know, um, insert applause. The current affairs uh, stuff is quite disheartening, dire. You put a bunch of other negative negatives in there, uh, uh, adjectives to describe it. But um. Yeah, man, it's a lot of shit going on, and, and we don't even got to talk about the orange dude. We could just talk about the uh, the actual, the other things that doesn't involve him, but he definitely amplifies it. Um, but I think there's a lot of tension in the air because we, the the craziest leap to me is we went from talking about a dude jogging and getting shot by two white dudes and no one doing anything about it for th- two months to mm-hmm. a white woman in a central park trying to call the police on the black dude, knowing full well, she knows something's going to, might happen to that black dude to, mm-hmm. to leaping to a dude. Oh shoot. Don't let me, not, not let me forget the police raiding a house, the wrong house, killing one of the women, one woman that was in the house, and the man who legally owned a gun used that gun to defend himself. And then they they actually arrested that cat um, 
for firing on police officers. And then we have what just happened with George Floyd, where the police officer uh, who basically he was, you know, arresting him for forgery, uh, supposedly for a $20 bill, um, need, basically kneed on dude's neck for over eight minutes, and then uh, which later uh, led to his death. And so now that culmination of things has led to what's been happening lately, which is like as current events going on, you got protests, protests devolving into riots. And so there's a lot of just um, commentary, anger, apathy, just a lot of just a lot of it just in general, just out. And I'm not really sure the best way to see from a bird's eye view where we actually go from here. That's what I would say for me. Uh, well, I, I wanted, you know, interesting. Uh, go ahead. Sorry. Sorry. Go ahead. You go. It's interesting because um, in preparation for this episode, I actually re-listened re to our Black Lives Matter episode. Uh, that's episode 124, Table of Truth on SoundCloud. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, I, I re-listened to that episode in anticipation of this one. And I, 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 it's like I relived all the despondency that I had, all the irritation that I had all over again, uh, just to, to to catch everybody up for the purpose of this conversation, that that episode we covered uh, uh, Orlando Castile and Alton Sterling being killed like in a, in a 48 hour period. And so here we have, you know, all the stuff that Cam just rattled off. And I'm just like, you know, we did that episode in 2016, guys. I don't know if you realize that. It's yep. that long ago. And nothing's changed. Nothing's different. We haven't moved the conversation forward. There's been no no sea change, no no societal change, no cultural change, no certainly no legal change. Um, except maybe that these dudes got arrested really fast because the world is burning around them. Not that that ever mattered before today. Um, but you know, the protests are the same, you know, I mean, I, and, and that's not to say that, you know, Cam and I, you, Cam, you and I differ on this, you know, uh, I, I feel like protest definitely has its place. You feel like it doesn't necessarily accomplish as much as people think it does. Um, and there's something like 12 protests in like 12 different cities yep. going on as we speak right now. Um, so kudos to people, you know, for at least, you know, taking action. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't feel like anything. And, you know, may, maybe I'm just being pessimistic, but I feel like having listened to that episode and fast forward four years later, I mean, am I wrong? And just pose, pose it to the two of you. Do, am I wrong? Has anything has the needle moved at all? Has anything changed? Is anything different between the time that we did that episode and this one? Uh, people's awareness? No. Social media, maybe. I don't know. People were already aware. People were already aware. People already knew racism. Racism didn't, didn't pop up the day that we did that episode or the week that we did that episode. It was already there. Yeah. It was already happening, and it's been, it been happening for centuries. So... Yeah, the uh, uh, Zendaya actually she she basically just retweeted what she tweeted in 2016, and it was exact it 100 fit exactly what was going on, and so I think that's the aspect of it. Like 
the the part about the protesting, you're right. It's one of those things where civil discourse and action, you know, it raises awareness, it, it puts the light, light on it and all that kind of stuff. But also at the same time, you know, we can holler and hoot all we want and burn stuff and chant. And again, all justifiable. I, you know, definitely support it. But at the end of the day, you know, the cycle will kind of weirdly continue because say, for instance, in Minneapolis where this happened, it's a Democratic mayor. It's a Democratic, uh, you know, council, uh, city council. It's a Democratic governor. And then you still have co-ops that feel that they could do pretty much what they want to do and without any means of rep repercussions. So I think that's the aspect of it, too, where it's kind of like, you know, the protesting sometimes to me feels like the people, the powers that be, they're like, oh, yeah, cool. You guys can do your protest. Get all that seam out your chest. And then once, you know, sports comes in or whatever other distractions that they're going to distract, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the classism type of things will still remain. And that that's the part that we have to kind of figure out and take a step back. Like, it's not just about just protesting and turning over police cars and stuff like that. That's, you know, that's you got to get that out. But then it, there has to be some type of situation where we have to kind of step back. I'm like, okay. Why is this happening? Because, you know, you don't, do we have the, the economic power to, you know, affect the change that we want or not? Like, there's just got to, we have to think a little bit larger than just the, the quick, like, you know, we got to take up arms and freaking protect ourselves and that kind of stuff. But that's the other conversation I was hearing, you know, it was like, yo, we might have to use violence to change the situation. And I'm like, all right, cool. Um, you can kill a couple cops, you can, you know, beat up some white people. But then after that, like, you know, is there going to be a change that will, you know, affect the, the, our little brown and black babies? I, I'm not really sure that's going to help. Um, yeah, I, 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 I'm just tripping because there was Kim Jong-un's fake death, Kobe Bryant dying and all this other stuff and those are not even the biggest news stories like yep. this guy faked his death that was wild to me mm -hmm. <laughs> like and, and i'm making light of it because this is like this whole year i knew the jig the the the, the jig the, the the jig was up when day three we almost went to world war and i was like what the hell is going on like mm -hmm. day three we almost went to war anyway that, it's just fascinating to me that kim jong un Faked his death, and that's not the biggest news story leading basically right now. And he faked his death to uh for his haters. He was like, "Yo, people are trying to kill me. Let me fake my death just to see who's trying to do stuff." All right, cool. I'm Again, back. <laughs> in any normal business news day, this would be fucking amazing. Yep. However, yep. I am again uh forced to talk about issues um that are plaguing our society now. Granted, let me attempt to break down what each of you that mentioned. Um, personally, people have been asking me how I feel and what are my thoughts on this. And it's not that I don't feel anything. I have taken, I mean, I am a black man living in America. I am 40 plus years old. And I've reached a level of where I am able to help others coexist and cope with what's going on right now. I've taken my energy and my rage to help others get through this. If they feel uneasy, they don't understand what's going on. They're wondering why this is happening. <clears throat> now, I had a couple friends reach out to me 
to say how I was doing. I'm like, I'm okay. But then when I sense the, um, the, the apprehension and their, their words or their emotions, I immediately turn my concern to them. And I'm asking what's going on. I, I want to show empathy. Yeah, that's, a, um, that's dope. Be, be, because, yeah, because people are, are trying to, that some people are concerned um, about the well-being of the black man and woman or the person of color in America, and they want to help some way. But when I sense they feel a certain type of way, I want to be able to help them in any way, fashion, or form. I recently ran across a post from Stick from Dead Press that I posted. And for me, um, in my current state as a black man in America, based on my position and current status, I am going to do the best that I can to either promote, uplift, educate, and if necessary, protect our culture, our people, or those that are unfortunate to be on the uh, end of, of oppression the best way I know how when given the opportunity with the tools that I have. If that means going out and fighting the just cause, so be it. If it means telling the person to stay healthy and disciplined and be knowledgeable of the laws so they can fight this oppression, so be it. Whatever my position is, if I have the financial means to help somebody get through this particular situation, I will do that. Um, to those that are out there um, protesting, rioting, or rebelling, and for those that question its legitimacy to say, or see and say if it doesn't work or, or it does, we don't know. However, what we do know is that, you know, there's a false narrative about when you destroy stuff, it's not helping nobody. Well, we did the kneeling, we did the marching, we did the appeal to come to the table and break bread didn't work, obviously. We're still getting persecuted, obviously. In the past, yes, a call to arms and action was needed because again, the cycle continued. We tried to meet on equal footing and nothing was, uh, uh, nothing was solved in a way that when we tried to do it their way or the peaceful way or the other way, plan A, B, C, and D didn't work. Well, we're left with the only way we know how that is accessible to us. And maybe rioting and rebelling when people are fed up of the BS, because like you said, Josh, in 2016, we just did this and we tried to do it the right quote unquote way or the way that mm -hmm. appeals to some when people say, oh, you don't, uh, it's not gonna bring anybody back by looting the target. Well, again, there's levels to this. And obviously, you know, the, the, the threads we posted, that it wasn't just a random target. It was a target that was a quote unquote target of the people because as they were protesting, the people in Minneapolis said they didn't want to sell the protesters any milk because um, the milk was found out to help get it out of your eyes for tear gas and they didn't want to sell the protesters. So they're not for the movement. They're not for the community. Certain businesses were destroyed because the people that were there or explaining that some of these buildings are not a part of the community and they treat their customers bad. So they were targeted specifically. Mm -hmm. Also, some of the violence is not violence because of the protesters that are actually protesting because of George Floyd and the injustice. Some seem like they've been, been planted there 
we just noticed some mm-hmm. random dude who is thought to be a cop cracking the glass of an auto zone when the protesters were not doing it, it was just a one-off dude he did he clearly didn't look like he was there to protest he clearly like he was there to be uh, an ancient provocateur for less mm-hmm. for a better for better term worse um again we do like w- people always think oh we got to rebel and and some some parts of that is true it's not always like it's scripted in the movie. We go to arms and go out and destroy the government. Yes, there is an argument to be made. I, I was on one side of it saying, nah, damn that. Because we always the bigger person. Being a person of color, we're always the bigger person. Yeah, and that's, and, and that's usually, and again, I've had this conversation with my dad before, but it's because of the, it, uh, it's no matter the religion now or what you claim or whatever, a lot of that comes from a lot of the Christianity from the before and that's what kind of comes into it. Our, our parents were kind of passed on to a lot of us. So that's why a lot of our older um, elders, when they're faced with these type of craziness, you know, they they root themselves in their faith and religion to help them get through this traumatic time. And so, and that's fine. And, and that's what, and then for them at that at that time, it was perfect and, or perfect, but that's what helped them. I think, and now that's why a lot of times you see that, like, you know, the elders are usually telling the younger people not to not don't write it. This is not the way to do it. Da, 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 da. But again, if you do your guys' way, we'll be in the exact same situation. So I think that's where that disconnect comes where it's more of a, instead of chastising each other for the way that they handle it, kind of come together and, and handle it together. Well, let me, well there's a few think, other points I, I want to make um, before. Go ahead, Josh. Go ahead. Uh, uh, I was, was going to say, um, okay, you go. <laughs> all right. Sorry. We got a little lag there. Um, I wanted to say that some of these things in Minneapolis, granted, there are opportunistic people out there that are just looting to be looting and just destroying shit. But there's also something to be said that some people have reached a boiling point and they need to get that aggression out because clearly the the powers that be are not listening to the, the voice of the people. We're not heard. So when you're not heard, you're going to rebel the best way you can. Um, I also feel like the burning of the power structure, the police department needed to go. Currently, the the White House is on lockdown because people are attacking. So now we're attacking these power structures, CNN, the White House, the police station, getting the attention of City Hall. These are targeted places of 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 where a system is broken or the people need to be heard. And these are the the power structures that have the, the capability to, quote unquote, help the people if need be. However, the target, again, is not a community thing. The target in Minneapolis, um, from what I've heard, it, is, it was just there. It's not there to help the community. It's not there. Like destroying a target, obviously, it's not going to bring the dead back, but it's not going to hurt the community either. No one gives a shit about that target. Like that target had right. no ties to the community, and I think that's the problem. I also think another problem is within the system of the police structure, because this is the one thing I noticed. So, what every time we have a video of the police uh, harming a person of color, it's usually white. This time we have an Asian. Now, that's not to say it's it's. I don't want to say this is just oh, it's just a white cop beating on black cops because it's deeper than that. Because there's evidence of black cops being harassing brothers. There's evidence of Latinos harassing person of color and there's evidence of now of an Asian out there. And it's, I'm very interested to, to hear from the Asian community to see one of their own blatantly on tape having a blatant disregard 
for a person that was crying for help. Like you would think a person of color can show empathy, but there was no empathy. And I think that's another issue in itself within the police organization and power struggle that, you know, they're paid professionals. They're trained to handle these situations. But what I don't think they're trained is, is to have empathy and emotion and a connection. I mean, they, they, mm. they, they officially are, but if they use it or not is the question. And then I, I don't think so. And I, I disagree with you, Cam. I don't think they are. They're, yep. they're trained to handle a situation, but they're not trained to that once they have the situation in control to understand. Because, like, look, in jujitsu, if me and you rolled, obviously I've been training longer than you. And once I have control of the situation and I know I, I'm in a dominant position, no need for me to escalate any further. I can back off and understand the situation and empathize with your level of expertise and not go 100% once I have the control of the situation. Yeah. And I don't the, think police officers have that. And that's, I mean, that's because you have a, you're dealing with a martial arts versus actual job. And I think that's, I think there is a, there's a level of, of, of empathy that's quote unquote supposed to be there. But as one of my friends that used to be in the military, he kind of broke something down that I never really thought of. And he was basically saying, you know, he did two tours in Iraq, one in Afghanistan. And he was like, he's like, the thing about you have to realize is like the people that enlist in these things like the army or police officers, he's like, you know, one third of them, good altruistic people do the right thing. They come in with the right reasons. One third of people, pretty much pieces of shit and love the power aspect of that position the last third is that as that group in the middle and they basically side with whoever they hang out with the most and so i think the you know people that again we don't know anything about the officer that was asian that was a part of that four but again you're in that spot spot is was that person you know around people that you know took that level of empathy in their job or was there is he around people that didn't so we, we all again don't know anything about that dude but the just because he's a minority is the thing is the is not a he should automatically have empathy for another minority type of thing and that's the part where i agree with you on that where there's a difference between being a, a me and an asian person hanging out and then uh you know a, a black cop and an asian cop hanging out because now they're both cops they're not they're more than their might they're their actual uh minority status and that's something that's been people have talked about more and more where it's like at what like the the blue kind of covers up whatever you are under that you know and so that's the part that i'm kind of curious about because the asian guy being part of that four group is is a, almost like a non-story like there's asian people you know supporting other black people and that kind of stuff but there's no one in the community being like hey that one asian guy didn't stop that white dude from stepping on that dude's neck so i'm no 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 i disagree with you i disagree uh it you may not have heard, but there is. Oh no, so, I've, I've read the stories, but I'm talking about in the yeah. in the level of of like the call to charge the dude that stepped on his neck for a murder is not, and in, in, but then the other three guys of like attempted murder, manslaughter, negligence, like that mm -hmm, kind of mm -hmm. stuff is not the same weight. They're not saying, hey, out of those three guys, that Asian dude that did it, he should have done something more than what the other white dudes did. That's the part of like the the people are talking about it, but not with the same gravity. And that's the part of the point. Okay, that's the problem. Okay, so this is the problem I have with this. That one, we are too divided as people of color in the community. We only make a call to action when it affects our own. So mm. back in the day, more people of color band together, Browns, or excuse me, Latinx, Black people and Asians, Black band together to fight a common cause. We don't have that now. Nope. And that is, just, that's, that, that is a problem. 
the issue would kill me is because we, like I said, we always think this is just a white cop thing. It's a systematic, it's a broken system. And there was something that came up where, you know, one of my friends that said, he said, the only thing I have to say about these arguments of non-white police officers and how we should judge and critique and analyze their position is, 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 is that if you join the cops, you're joining up with, quote unquote, the stormtrooper army of white supremacy, period. It's pretty simple to me, obviously. Black, Latino, Asian, whoever, the fact that you are now willing, uh, you are now the willing arm of the state doesn't change because you aren't white. Black life in America is one of war. I can't afford to give any of these special considerations on any level. So he is just as capable of the white officer. He's just as negligent. What's interesting now is that we have it on camera and we have a certain mm -hmm. community now, because like I said, in China, they're, they're, everybody's racist. People say, oh, I'm less racist, this is less racist. Well, in China, they have Muslim internment camps. Yep. You know what I'm saying? Still going so on no one really talks day. about it. Still going on, right? Uh, even the Asian community will comment and say their community is racist as fuck. Even black people can be racist, and we do the most asinine shit. Every culture, every uh, race has some racist undertones. You know what I'm saying? So when you join that police force, you are joining a corrupt system. It doesn't matter what color you are now. You're just part of the problem. You get what I'm saying? But there's an argument to be made in order to change the problem. You have to be a part of the problem. Well, we are seeing that. It, they've been a part of the system, and it still hasn't changed. Uh, and, you know what I'm saying? And police, and police are more about police and the property as opposed to the people. Like I think that's the other aspect of it, too. The there are, and again, the that same kind of like the, in that same vein, you know, people are like, you know, if there's a thousand good police officers and there's ten bad police officers, that means there's there's a thousand and ten bad police officers, and so like the in there's has because the system is broken from a top to bottom situation. It's one of those things where like, okay, if you Cam were to say, you know what, I want to join the police academy and I want to change the system, you quote unquote get into said system, and you're like, okay, this system is broken. Now what do I do? Do I stay within the system and try to help my fellow community because I want to, you know, protect the people that are in my community? Do I quit and do another situation? Like that does that's what I'm talking about now is like what we have to look at more like what is the solution? I think that's the that that's the point where I want to get to. It's like we have to figure out if I we think, can I think the oh, thing, go ahead. I think the thing the thing is it, it's a couple things. There's something that you mentioned in the Black Lives Matter episode. Um about training. And I think that can only go but so far, but I think it is a major component. The amount of training that the average cop receives for use of a weapon is something like, I think you mentioned it was like 60 hours or, or, or some craziness like that of weapons training. And they get something like eight hours or 10 hours of cultural sensitivity and just, you know, how to mm -hmm. deal with different people, different ethnicities and what have you. So that's one component. But before you get to that, you have to vet the individual much better than you are, than, than they are currently. Um, I don't think sending an exam and then, you know, a 10 cent psych exam is enough. You're not getting to the heart of these individuals. And I don't know how you do that. This is by no means am I saying, so therefore you should do X, Y, Z. I don't, I don't necessarily have the prescriptive for that, but also, I think there needs to be a third component where there's a cultural change where 
police officers aren't enabled to do the things that they that they're able to do. I don't know again how you change that cultural shift, and it may be naivete to even speak that way, but there is a culture that allows these sorts of things. Yeah, there is a culture that makes it so that you know that these cops can do these things and go days before they're before they're arrested, before they're taken off duty, before they hand in their badge. In many instances, the officers that that we talked about in the Black Lives Matter episode were all set on on administrative duty. Mm-hmm. Not one of those officers in the two instances that we discussed four years ago, in any of those in either of those scenarios, all of them were reassigned. Yep. Not one of them was suspended. Not one of them was taken off duty. They were all reassigned, pending investigation. Yep. Exactly. Because the the assumption is, and the presumption is, they're 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 innocent until proven guilty. Mm-hmm. In, uh, in and and even with the Philando Castillo situation, he was acquitted of all charges. He was fired, mm-hmm. but he did. There's nothing else that you know. And he shot a man in his car who uh, legally licensed had a licensed firearm, but he shot the man mm-hmm. with in his car with his family, and that dude was acquitted of all charges. And then also, but was fired and is walking around today. And so I think, again, we're talking about like like Cam was talking about a broken system. It's like now, like one of the things that I actually do agree with the, uh, some of the politicians where they're saying like the people that live, in, the people that work at you know in the cities that they police, they don't live there. And so like they they treat the citizens as other as opposed to people of their community. And I think that's actually really true. Mm-hmm. Where you know there's not you you know. They don't have like the people that live in the city aren't the ones that are are in the part of that community. So then the police are usually coming from somewhere else, and so they don't look at the people with like the empathy that Cam was talking about a little bit earlier. And so I think the other yeah. aspect of it comes down to is it's like okay, now we have to kind of figure it out because that's a you know that's the other part. You know, like there's I've been seeing tons of you know the Asian kids and talking about you know uh, to Cam's point about you know branding together as minorities and kind of all coming with that kind of empathy and understanding together. And that's something that I think the younger generation is starting to do a lot more. But also, too, we have to kind of go from, you know, that's the start of it, but then we have to go to the next step further and figure out what we want to do on top of that. I want to come back to what I was trying to make point about and, and kind of piggyback off your thoughts, Cam. Um, I, and the reason I said empathy is because one of uh, my jiu-jitsu structure. He 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 he's an SMN um, SME. I forgot what that meant, but basically he's he's a black belt. He's been he's a judo master. All this he's famous, right? So he was talking about cops need empathy training, and I was discussing this, and people were echoing a similar sentiment, you know, about how there is a lack of empathy and an emotional training on the police force. And my one of my friends was talking about, he's like, empathy has been lost over time. And, and it builds calluses built are built emotionally and physically. And the more they are demonized, the deeper they get into their own echo chamber of quote unquote, everyone is our enemy. Um, it goes on to we talk about how emotional support and humility need to be reinforced regularly. Um, a lot of people have echoed this, that the world needs more good cops. However, the police force does not hire good cops. I don't think mm-hmm. personally that that Chauvin guy was on the receiving end of an ass beating in decades, or else he would understand the gravity <laughs> of his actions. Sure. He, I, you know, and and to further it, I said for he never for one second did consider how he would react if being held down or restrained 
could possibly harm somebody if he's never been there. They don't have a concept but of the how their action. Let me, let me let me jump in really quick. Let me jump in really yeah. quick. The reason why he's never considered that is because he has a shield and a gun. And there's repercussions if you do that to a cop. Yeah. There are no repercussions, relatively speaking, if a cop well, he wasn't a, to you. He wasn't a cop all his life. No, he doesn't no. have a concept of how his and, action affects his others. And that's the part that comes into the white aspect of it, too. The the That, that could lead back to it, the, um, the whole... Uh, the, am I even going to say her name? The, uh, the the white lady in in you know Central Park calling the police on the black man, and so there's uh, a Amy Cooper. yeah there's an aspect of it that you know the I don't want to say woke white people or the ally white people, but there is an aspect of self awareness that they don't have. Like we are constantly aware of our blackness at all times. <laughs> like we know at any given moment that we could be in, in these situations without, and it is not far fetched idea for a lot of the white people. They have no concept of that. Now you said that goes back to your empathy aspect of it. So this dude being as uh, callous as he was, there's no empathy for them to think of that. I'm a police officer. He's a criminal. I can do what I need to do to, uh, to get my perp. There's no empathy in that aspect of it. Then later on, we find out there was a personal connection with these two and there's like other things like that. But a lot of these, these, these situations, the shooting goes from the white person feeling personally like uh, aggrieved of like, oh my God, this scary black person is going to do something to me. I must protect myself. That even goes back to the white woman that literally broke into someone else's apartment and shot a dude in his own apartment on, on accident mm-hmm. because she was drunk and didn't understand that she was in the wrong place. And then even with that situation, she's the one that felt, oh my gosh, this person is threatening and i'm scared of him let me let me protect myself and dl hughley said this he says there's no there's nothing more scarier than than the uh the thought of a black person in a white person's mind and that that part of it that's how and so they don't even have that empathy level to even think about that this black person might be a not, not a threat or not that thing so that's why it's like mm-hmm. it, it, there's all there's a level of you see even a deeper level of empathy that's not there and the younger generation is starting to be better about that, but then with every one of these incidences, especially when it comes to police, the the reaction first is this black person might be uh, dangerous, not this black person. Mm-hmm. Is, they don't give any benefit of the doubt, and I think that's the part that empathy aspect that's missing. Like as we were talking about before, that's just like the, that's just that there's either you know there has to be a wholesale switching of how police officers are trained to even get that out because even just taking it out of the police aspect even in the workplace you know you know there's a with it or even in schools like black children black people have a certain connotation about them in the workplace already before they even step in you know the women being the loud black man black women you know like i remember being at my workplace from going from BET where there was tons of uh, black people to another workplace that didn't have tons of black people. And the, the black men barely even talked to me. I'd be like, yo man, what's good? They're just, Hey man, what's going on? And it was a very, every man to himself. I don't want to be associated with someone else that could actually take me down. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, I think also to, to circle back to what you were saying, um, I think there, there's a certain, there's a certain truth to that uh, in terms of, in terms of, um, in terms of us walking around day to day knowing that the presumption of guilt or the presumption of wrongness for just existing, for just being, for just being born brown is, is a thing, you know what I mean? And I don't, I don't think anybody really pays uh, proper attention to 
the fact that we walk with that every day. And so we enter situations with that in mind in most instances. And so we, we're forced to sort of figure out how to negotiate that. You know, how do you walk into a situation where a police officer walks up to you and you already know there's a more than 50% chance that this is going to be problematic? What do you do with that? Are you supposed to then dial all of that back? All, you know, are you supposed to somehow unknow what you know? You know, yeah. it, 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 it's the difference between, you know, being a little, a little extra when you get pulled over, where you have your hands on the, on the dashboard and you already have your wallet on your lap and asking all the permission questions that you're supposed to ask. Well, wow. officer, you asked me for my ID. I'm going to go into my wallet and get that. Is that okay with you? Yeah. But then you have situations like Philando Castile where he did all of those things. And actually to he be did to, all of those things and still caught two in the chair. And to be fair, the guy that shot him was a Latino man. Again. So it wasn't about the say, race. It's more about the cops no. the cops versus the other. And again, when you say to change the system, we have to infiltrate the system. Well, we have our quote unquote own in the system and it's still in the changing. And this is getting back to your previous point, Cam. Representing the system is fine when the system represents the community it supports. You're right. Mm -hmm. That is the root of the problem. Law enforcement does not accurately represent the community it seeks to support. It, it's, it is often used as a tool to control communities and to change the system. Yes, there is a truth to you have to be a part of it. Quote, unquote, like I live in the Bay Area. A Vietnamese officer from East San Jose police in San Jose is what the, the San Jose Department needs. Right. You want a person that understands the community. They pay so much to bring people from the outside in the community. Yeah. And that's another issue. The first step, that's why one of the first step is, is to have an empathy, is having somebody that understands the community, not when you bring from people from the outside. There's no personal attachment. There's no investment in the community, yeah. no familiarity that brings empathy and belonging. Yeah. But so. it's also the, you know, the, the level of being able to you know afford to live in that community if it's that if that's the case as well you know there's like there's so many different aspects of it like you know are is the officers in question that's working in a community say like a san jose which is a super high um economic situation are those officers even available uh even able to afford living in the community that they police that that's another that's a whole nother situation so it's like the again there's so many different layers and the Kind of like going back to what, you know, uh, for us as black people, we, we, one of my favorite uh, writers, he was talking about, he's like, I'm a, you know, he's like, I'm a 50 plus light skinned black man. I'm a writer. I used to be a professor. He was like, every single day, there's a little thing in the back of my head. Is this the day I'm going to get killed in the street? And I was, and that's kind of crazy, you know, for him. And he even said, you know, he's written for television. He has like a whole functioning career, but he was just like, that's a small little part that in the back of my head. And I was making this conversation when I was talking to some other people about it. I'm like, you know, the, the dude that was in Christian Cooper, that was, that was, you know, the whole situation in New York and Central Park, you know, the thing that they kept saying about him was like, oh, you know, graduated from Harvard. He was a writer at Marvel. Like they gave all these extra things to make him a, this is a non-threatening uh, right, Negro. Right, right, right. <laughs> As opposed to just being like, yeah, this guy was just bird watching and this woman tried to call the police on him, you know? <laughs> well, and that, that, that lies the, and tells the problem. Um, like what we have with George Floyd, we can just rewind to what we just witnessed with, Christian Cooper, yeah, and and the weaponization mm -hmm. of uh, a person's privilege, 
Um, and the reason is it, it, this is the frustrating part sometimes that this was kind of ingrained from my parents is that when you go somewhere, you have to be better than them. But that's the problem. Mm -hmm. Why do we have to be better than the next man just to prove our innocence? Christian Cooper had to be perfect, right? right and I'm in another right. chat arguing, and this one guy I was talking about, we were having it. I wouldn't even say argue. We were having a healthy discussion because now I approach debates as trying to empathize with their side instead of just coming from my biased opinion of how it should be. So I wanted to understand why he felt the other guy was threatening her. And he said the tone. Well, we don't know. The, no, no, wait. No, no. No. I'm, I, and I'm, I'm being I'm not being like funny. No, I know. I know. If someone if someone came to me and said, put your dog on a leash and yelled at me, I would. OK, yeah. Uh, Christian C Cooper. He's an imposing figure. Yes. Do we know he yelled at her? We don't know. Nope. What we do know is that she understood the gravity of the situation, the historical contents of the police and black people. She probably had an ego thing where a black mm -hmm. person told her she was breaking the rules, right? And she felt some type of way and she understood that I'm being white and I can be hysterical and it will get you in trouble if I say the right words. She took malicious intent. The problem I have is that Christian Kurt, Cooper, excuse me, had to play this perfectly. Thank God for the damn mm -hmm. camera phone. Yeah. Because we know how this situation usually goes. Yep. And she yep. went full Meryl Streep with this mm -hmm. whole vaudeville act to get her point across that I can yell and scream and basically Emmett Till you with a phone call. And it didn't work. Yeah. Now she's and now she lost. It sucks. Now there's a part of it that sucks. You lose your job for not doing something on your job. However, in this day and age, you are an extension of that company. And when you make that company look bad and you potentially hurt their bottom line, which is the mighty dollar, mm -hmm. you're gonna pay. Wow. So she she tried to she she said, I I'm my life is ruined. Well, you try to ruin another man's life and when you realize it or not. Yeah, no, she realized it. Yeah. She knew that. And I think when you say you're I'm gonna call the cops and tell them that an African man is threatening me. Yeah, those are singular words. And you're 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 um, what's the word you, you're focusing on certain points to emphasize oh, sure. and hit home to yeah, put to, to have a one up. Yeah, to to one up and put that man in a state of fear. But it didn't work. Yeah. And now you and, fucked up. And I think that's the thing where it's like it's not it's more about in that one and that specifically specific case she 100% was using her priv her privilege as a white woman and this guy is a black man and she that and again that's what she fucked up on is it's like she she she, she basically villain monologued her whole situation <laughs> like if she yeah. if she legit would have just been like what and then pulled out her phone called the police and reported him and saying hey this guy is threatening me da 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 this would be a different story but because she brought in the African part because she put on the waterworks like and it was this interesting because it was like like woman you legit did exactly what what the black guys have said women white women would do did, would do almost to a parody level. And then you actually got caught for it. And then now the repercussions of are happening, whether, you know, she got the death threats and she got lost her job. And then now, again, to Christian Cooper's credit, he's got interviewed and he's like, yo, this woman doesn't deserve to get death threats. And da, da, da. once again, the black person being the better person treating someone. Yeah, the, yeah I, I don't I don't care for that. At and, all. I, I don't care for that. No, and I and I, I, and I, think, I, you know, I agree with we, you. With that. We live in a world where you have to deal with the consequences there. 
There's Tell nothing your actions. me, you, that me, you, or Cam have done in this world, negative or positive, where we have not had to deal with the repercussions of the thing that we've done. Yeah. But and why so do we? Why I don't do think why she do, gets to be any different? But but Josh, why do we feel that way? Because we're not on an equal playing field, right? So Agreed. if we're not on an equal play and we're not on equal playing field, we have to tread carefully. Again, they understand the game is rigged in their favor. And sure. You know, we all can agree that we want justice and we want equality. We just don't agree on how we should get it. Yeah. Do we have to be exactly. we do we have to be the bigger man? Yeah. Because I, I'm at a I'm at a point where, you know, like I don't want to be the first one to be bigger man. Like when they say nope. For example, well, when they say, hey, in order to fix the, in order for black, excuse me, when, in order to fix the cops on black people violence, maybe we should take a look and on the black on black violence. Okay, there is some truth to be had, because I've had several conversations of people of color that's, that maybe echoes Malcolm's sentiments, because there was a point in time where, like, you know, Malcolm would say, we got to fix ourselves. Because we're living in a white man's society, yes. quote unquote. Yep. You know, right. we don't have to co- we don't have to co- uh, uh, bow down to th- what's acceptable to put it to the, to them. Mm-hmm. We could fix our own shit. Yeah. So there's some truth to it. Right. People ec- echoed that sentiment. You know. However, I don't think they're related. Like I don't have to, you can have a moral background and uh, a moral standing and say, yes. Do we have to fix the com- the black on black crime? Yes. There isn't. There's truth to that. But is that enough necessary for you not to kill us? Yeah. Like, right. The, the two can be mutually exclusive, yeah. 100%. Yeah. And I think, like, again, I think that's the part where, like, you know, the, uh, there's, there's, you know, that's the, that's the business that we handle behind closed doors. Like, we got to yeah. handle that with our own aspect. The, con- the conversation about, you know, that, that's something that we got to handle on our own. But then we're talking about something that's, like you said, is completely separate. And I think that's the part where, for, even for like, say for instance, I put up the uh, in one of the group chats I had with, with two white dudes. Um, I put up that quote of the person was talking about uh, looting, looting and rioting, and, and, and connecting it with like white supremacy. How like they basically looted the world and all the museums are filled. And then in you know, and I was laughing, and they're just and like, they charge you to come see. Yeah, it. and so <laughs> and so one of them was basically saying they're like, oh okay, that's not real. And I was like, oh word, yeah, really, because all those African artifacts really were a trade bargain between the the really nice Europeans and the African people. <laughs> and then someone was like, well, yeah, that yeah. and then it, but it, but it was comedy because I the way his what he was saying was you know. That's not all true, and that's what usually most people say on that aspect. And then before I got too deep, one of my friends was like, "Well, I mean, that makes perfect, you know, that makes kind of sense because you know it's not like Wakanda gave all their vibranium to you know <laughs> to everybody and hanging out." And everyone started to laugh, but he was trying to get to that point of just like you know, I think sometimes like again, white people aren't empathetic to others in the realm of what they're going through or how they look at things because they're always been the default. So when they're the default, it's harder for them to like say, for instance, even with the, the looting and the rioting, they understand the protest aspect, but they don't understand the rioting aspect of it. And again, some parts of it, like you said, there's bad actors, people take advantage of it, da, 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 da. but then the part of the um, that anger and the reactionary aspect of it, sometimes it's lost on white people because they're not even thinking on that level unless they kind of, you know, Think about, you know, so like someone said, you know, the way black people are rioting is like when white people got mad about 9-11 or like, you know, they couldn't freaking top Boston Tea Party or some shit like that. Like it 
you know, the empathy part of it is kind of devoid sometimes when they see um, uh, white people doing it versus the black people doing it. And so, like, they might they might sympathize, but the empathy aspect of it, it takes a little bit more for them. And again, that's not our job to teach them that. But in a lot of times for our parents and all that, that's how they thought. They were like, well, we have to be better than these dumbass dudes so that we don't, quote unquote, sleep to their level. And now that we're at this a stage, this 2020, a lot of the younger ones are like, nah, fuck that. Y'all need to get your shit together because we are tired of trying to be a quote unquote be the bigger man or doing all that and i think that's the um uh that that's what's starting to bubble up even more you know even with people talking about uh oh the difference between like dylan roof and how you know the other cats were treated and so um and i that's that's one of my sticking points for my me and my dad before i'm like yo this dude literally went up into a church hung out for three hours and they murdered all of them and the police took him alive I was like, all the black people that's been killed were for smaller infractions to that, and they were like systematically murdered or like a, a barrage of bullets. And I was like, so there's not, there's like, so that right there, like, just from a base level, shows that the difference of uh, treatment of how they treat one type of person versus another. Uh, yeah, do the Burger King afterwards on some. You hungry? Yeah, that part is exactly. that part's you know, hey, you know, hey, we, we bought him some Burger King to keep him talking because he was telling us everything kind of thing. And I'm just like, it's like, yeah, that's a bunch it, of bullshit. It is a bunch of bullshit, but there's even more above that that we can you could stick on that part, but you can even talk about everything. But anyways, but going back to the original point, mm-hmm. it's I think the empathy aspect is something that's definitely real and rooted and grounded in something that you know on a wide scale is something that is needed. To, for us to empathize, like whether it's us, the police, the white peoples, every, everyone, you're right, empathy across the board, but specifically for white people, because a lot of white people don't have that empathy when it comes to minorities and seeing them in that kind of state. Uh, there, well, there's one more. They, they don't live in a world where they're made to look at anything outside of their, outside of their little box. They don't, there's no, there's no incentive uh, to look at things outside of the lens that they generally see the world through and yeah. that's sort of the you know and, and whereas we're forced to live the, that life you know 24 7 always thinking yeah, always thinking about it every day er day there, there, there's one more point i want to make with the there's some truth to the black on black crime if we fix that one of my i, I was chiming in with another, another one of my good friends and he had this po- point to say which made me see it in a different light he said a racist system is designed to make minorities fight amongst themselves. Limit resources to minority groups and they will fight tooth and nail for the scraps for the, from the majority. To oversimplify things, if minority groups embrace their consolidation of power, their system will collapse. Hence, we should unite. In this specific case, if minority communities had less crime and less poverty, then they would also have a more and better representation in legal and political systems. Yeah. This is all theoretical, of course, since higher crime and poverty in minority communities is practically by design. Yeah. Since the founding of America, minorities have been the majority and those below the poverty line. Our government has been designed to consolidate the poor and marginalize the impact on the government. And this marginalization is actually exacerbated by crime within these communities. Again, oversimplify, instead of fighting for a bigger piece of the pie, minority communities fight amongst themselves for the slivers they're given, quote unquote, while the political and judicial systems are being filled with people who are brought up from the outside of the from the outside of these communities with tainted views the fact remains this is where we were we had a different opinion the fact remains if you change the system you have to be a part of it take over from the top 
and then uh, take up take it over from the bottom to top. Can they be replaced? Yes. The system must change. Minorities need more representations. The criminal and political system. A higher percentage of minority officers and lawyers means less racism. These officers will be replacing in captains and chiefs, and then the DA and the DAs. One of the various reasons why the system makes affordable education limited was for minority communities. Well, it's a lot of truth in that. It's a lot of, yeah. a lot of truth. Yeah. So, so, so oh. there, there is some truth to yes. If you fix the black on black crime, then maybe this may happen. I don't share that sentiment, but it's a conversation to be had. Yeah. Again, sure. the common the common theme is we all want the same thing. It's just how are we going to go about it? Yeah, exactly. And I think with the with that, I've had the same. One of the entrepreneur guys who was saying he was like, because black people have no equity, we have no say. We have no say. We have no leverage. We have no leverage. We have no representation. You have no representation. You have you know, and so his thing because he's an entrepreneur and he's a, he's a you know, product of capitalism and he still believes in, in that as a system of uh, economic growth is you know is is again going back to the you know the taking banding together and putting the money into our own communities and building that up and doing all that like you know making our own towns you know having our own politicians and all that kind of stuff so and he's looking at it from a capitalistic side but at the same time you know again as that person was stating, it was just like, yeah, there's a there's there's way more classism going on than there is mm -hmm. racism. Like racism is always there; it's never going away. But the, a lot of the mechanisms that's going on now is classism, and like the that is that is like way more paramount on a broad bear uh, a broad spectrum for everyone. And then you have the classism, and then next goes into the racism. So it's, the classism keeps all the poor people in the same situation, and then the, the racism splits them all up. And then that's where we get to the scrap aspect of it. And so that's the people mm -hmm. that, um, again, it comes back to you, like, there, people forget there are way more fucking poor people than there are rich folks. If the poor people realize that shit and got to a point of banding together and, and doing that, then there would be a little bit more of a, a change. But we have deified the rich at, the, at a certain level, mm -hmm. but then also at the same time, you know, go against them. So they look at someone like, oh, Kylie Jenner is a billionaire and it's so awesome and da 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 da. But they don't look at her as being part of the you know, the class eliteness. They look at her as you know the younger people, which is crazy. Like the really really young. When I'm talking about the high school element and middle school kids, they look like at someone mm -hmm. like Kylie Jenner as like, oh, I could do that. That could be me. That's mm -hmm. a hope. That's a right. that's a that's a level to strive for. They don't look at the all the extra things that get that was help, you know, privileges that helps her and all that kind of stuff. And so instead of looking at each other and, and bigging up each other and kind of lifting up together, they look at the people that are rich and they're like, okay, I could get to there. And that's part of capitalism. Capitalism kind of mm -hmm. gives you that hope of like, hey, you know what? I might be poor today, but I can get up to the to the rich level. And I instead of actually be like, okay, well, me and my friends are all on the same economic level. If we band together, put our money together, work our businesses together, and all rise up at the same time, then that uplifts us more as opposed to striving to be that one person that, quote unquote, gets out the hood or moves out. So that classism level is definitely there that actually adds to a lot of it. But the classism just feeds on the racism. And like they like they it, it, that's what's so funny. Like after all this is said and done, they'll rebuild the freaking burnt down police station. They'll freaking build, mm -hmm. rebuild that target and they'll kind of do all that. But 
the is is the are there going to be reforms within the police department? Is there going to be reforms in terms of how police have empathy or whatever? Are there going to be reforms in terms of the education of that area to help that people don't have jobs and all that? Like th- that's those aspects, mm-hmm. and so that's the part that that classism part is the part that really affects on a larger scale, and it's starting to be it's the quarantine put that into real like tangible things now where you know people are like wait I can't go, I can't get my hair done. Well, I can't go. I can't get my. I can't go to the fast food place. Wait, wait, hold up, hold up. What, what's going on? Because in New York, yo, minorities are still taking the subway to get to their jobs. Like they can't stay at home. <laughs> you know. Like, well, you, you know, uh, this is two things. One, um, I want to. I, I do want to see now that is another person of color being involved in a like quote unquote hate crime or murder. How they react to it to see that they shit don't they, they shit stink the same as everybody else. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Two, um, we, uh, how do I put this? Um, how are we going to move forward? Um, I think both ways are necessary. It's not fair. It's ugly. Mm-hmm. It's never perfect. Um, we can rebel and destroy shit. People are going to complain. We can put people in places of power, just like we put Obama in place. Like it's the same thing. We put a, Obama was a black president. He was the part. He was the system, or quote unquote. But we also know how the game is played as well. Like mm-hmm. it takes a granny, It takes a multitude of things, right? Yeah. yeah. That's, that's we, we need true. everything. We, we need everything. Um, I, I lost what I was trying to say, but basically, I, I'm very concerned. On again, will seeing an Asian officer who had a history, a litany of bullshit against him. Um, well, they say, okay, it's not just a white thing. We need to band together to destroy the system, not just a white person, because there's black people that are fucked up. There's Asian cops that are fucked up and yeah. there's Hispanic cops that are yeah. fucked up. And, that's, and, 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 and that's, and that's why I said about the classism aspect, but like the, yeah. the race aspect and you know, the, the, the best way to put it was like when Chris Rock said that he was just like, "There's not a white guy in this room that would take my my place, and I'm rich." <laughs> and exactly. what is that one lady that said that she was like, um, "Who in here would trade places with the experience of a black person? No white person raised their hand, <laughs> so they are aware." Oh yeah, they yeah. What's her name? Say it again. Jane Elliott, I think is her name. Yeah, Jane yeah. Elliott. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a famous speech, and it was like super dope. When 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 you see that speech and you see no one raises hand, that shows me that mm. white people are aware. Because oh. getting back to your point, Josh, you said are people aware? People are aware. Mm-hmm. People are aware of the situation of being a person of color in America and how mm. the person at the top of the food chain. Oh, this is what I was getting at. Sorry to get back to a further point. I am also curious. Um of our quote-unquote what do we call them co-conspirators allies that say they're for the cause but always end off their hey i support you but or they were up in arms about their civil liberties a few weeks ago but are quiet now i'm very interested to see what their thoughts like some people have reached out to me and that's cool some people have posted that's cool they showing their support but the people that stayed quiet those are the people 
I'm kind of looking at with a side eye, but curious. Like, how do you feel? Yeah. Why are you not speaking up? Yeah. I, I'm, do you feel a certain way? Is this not a priority of yours? Yeah, you know? exactly. That's more what I would say. To, to, in my opinion, I think it's more, is it a priority? You know, like, and I, I kind of, it's like all things, you know, we are the star, we are the stars of our own movies. And so for some people, they do have empathy for other people's plights and some people don't. And so there's a lot of lip service that comes on and there's a lot of, um, there's, no, there's a lot of actual action. Um, all I know is, uh, I hate when we, we put these false idols, these celebrities, Yeah, yeah. these celebrities need to know not to donate their money to Sean King, please, Man, that's out of a, everything, that's do, a not whole... donate, do not <laughs> that's donate a whole... money to this that's... Professor Grift, aka Most Theft, aka Martin Luther <laughs> King, aka Talcum X, yeah. whatever that's, it is. That's a, yeah, do that's, not donate to this guy's a whole that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> yeah. Um but what, but, what I was yeah, gonna say too is, out of touch with that. One thing I was gonna say too is that, and this is something I, I, I completely forgot, but then I had to look it up. Um you know there's been a lot of uh talk about you know police officers don't get held for their uh, accountability and da 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 yada yada yada. So um there was an African American cop who shot a white woman. And he was actually convicted of murder. The jury found him guilty. Oh, sure he was. Yeah. And mm-hmm. in and it just so happens that it was in Minnesota. <laughs> and like, was this last year or year before? This was last year. And so yep. like, again, okay. the 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 reason why people you know it, to bring it up is like again, it's completely rare for a police officer to be charged with killing of a mm-hmm. citizen like completely rare but it be then and so again activists were just like so wait though this shit never happens but the time that the black somali muslim police officer kills uh someone while he's on duty he's found guilty mm-hmm. and so like so again back with that you know empathy part of it and you know the you know White people, white people are they're, they're the default man. They're the default setting. So the so the 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 quote unquote need to have empathy and all that kind of stuff. They could literally go through their entire life without having to be empathetic with any minority ever, and live a completely quote unquote fine life in their in their terms. And so that's something that is real. And and for the rest of the country, like you know, again, we live in areas where we're around a lot of minorities, and we you know that. But there's whole swaths of America that they don't see any minorities unless they're on TV, or they're pumping their gas, or they're freaking getting a burger or something like that. So I get like this doesn't give them a pass, but it also comes from gets the understanding of where they're coming from and where that you know the it's going to take this a whole a whole gener another I, I honestly believe a whole another generational shift to get white people up to that level and you know that's on us whether we are going to be the ones that help them do that shit or let them do that on their own or you know to completely ostracize them and just get our own shit to, you know what i'm saying like there's all these like different like factors that roll into it or or we just we destroy everything right i mean and then even then, like, and then even when you destroy everything, you know, again, I go back to the classism aspect because even in the, say, like for right now, going back to the quarantine, you know, people are like, "Yo, there's, we have mass unemployment. Like, this is the highest unemployment in a long time. People are losing their jobs." Da 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 da. That's true, but everyone that has money is fucking chilling, mm-hmm. like yep. straight chilling, buying houses, laying back, 
putting money in escrow, just relaxing and chilling off of, and waiting to see all this shit going. But the the actual aspect of it, of people that are in that, like I said, that goes back to the class level. Like they're like you know you know I I was laughing because I was I read the uh, the letter that uh, good old Trumpito sent us when he gave us that twelve hundred dollar check, and it was such a freaking parody of itself, almost like a level of like propaganda. But it was like the the there's been a, a talk of UBI, universal banking income, and all that kind of stuff, and it's, it has various degrees of working, whatever. But it was just interesting that, like, you know, the government's response to the um, the economic, you know, kind of crisis was, hey, we'll just give you guys some quick money in your pot, your pocket. You feel good, right? <laughs> or like, mm-hmm. we're gonna we're just gonna increase unemployment, but like for six months. And like, there's a lot of people I know, bartenders, DJs, you know, dancers and stuff. They're on unemployment, and then. You know that runs out in two more months. Once that's done, what's going on? Congress has openly mm-hmm. said, "Hey, man, I think we're giving people way too much money because they don't want to go to work. That's not good." Yep. <laughs> so it's like there's so many layers to this aspect of it, and a lot of it is rooted in classism. That like we get wrapped up in the racism part because it's just as important and it's, it happens to us every single day. But then there's a looming aspect of class that like that wage gap and wealth just keeps on growing and it just keeps on going because again. If you're rich, you're in a you're you you can be black, but you're still rich black, which is not white rich, mm-hmm. but you're still better than them niggas. And then that leaves you another level of of you know of separation. And so I think in, in the same level of that classism, being a police officer for minorities is another level of classism where you're almost a quote unquote a step uh, removed from other people's plight. So I can see how that empathy can kind of go away. Cause now you're not, I'm not them. I'm a little bit better, just like you know OJ says. Like I'm right. not black, I'm OJ. <laughs> what what does OJ say after he leaves? He's like, okay, Twitter, hi Twitter world. <laughs> oh, God. It's fucking great! It's awesome, actually. That shit is so ridiculous. It's painful. Yeah. Hello, hello Twitter world. Yep. Just but but it's it's again like you know my fate. One of my favorite pieces by Tanahasi Coates was White Famous, and I thought that was so interesting because he was talking he was reading he was talking about kanye at that time but he was talking about others where there's a level of there's a there's a level that a lot of creatives at a certain level want to reach and that usually comes with you know whether it's fame or whatever but they want to be able to create and do what they want to do without having it being tied to their race and unfortunately Mm -hmm. as black people are whatever we do period for the rest of our life is Mm -hmm. always looked at through a black lens so you know, white people don't have that. When Trump does some stupid shit, we don't say all white people are fucking racist and xenophobic and da da. We just say he is, and the people that follow him are. We don't ascribe that to their whole race. And so that mm-hmm. there's a level that you know that of classism that even rich white black people try to get to, where they're just like, oh, I don't want to be associated with them niggas. But you know, you know, right. you know, and they, and it, but it's there. And so again, like just like Cam said. There's this a top to bottom thing, this whole huge aspect of things that problems we have to figure it out. And there's a it so many different voices that all have different ideas of what they want to do about it. But how are we going to be able to get to a some type of solution? It's like we ain't going to get get it done on this podcast. But <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you 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 hit on a, on a really salient point. You know, you you've quoted on, uh, on a number of occasions the Killer Mike philosophy of having a short list of agenda of agenda items and action items that communally across the board, whether you're well-to-do black, whether you six-figure black, whether you're poor black, it doesn't matter. These are the things that the community, you know, Hasidic Jews do it. 
like they have they have they stay having a list of things that they require you to genuflect on as a politician yeah it's in new york and anyways um and if you can't hit if you can't hit the major items on that list or the majority of them you don't get their votes straight up yeah pretty much get their endorsement and you definitely don't get their vote and i think there's something to that yeah you know there's definitely you you you, like i said you pointed that out on a number of occasions and you know it, it didn't take long for me to come around to that to that way of thinking there's no communal there's no communal sameness there's no single agenda um because there are too many voices and too many uh and too many agendas too many people who are looking for different things and think they can get something you know out, out of out of sort of spearheading what they think should be the 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 action item list versus these are all things that we can agree on and these are all things we should get and if you don't get those joe biden guess what you don't get our vote and that's just that yeah no that's definitely- you, know, you, you, you know how i feel about the dnc and their bullying tactics yeah. but you know well that's a discussion for another time. yeah well with that being said we'll, we'll we'll wrap it up and get some uh final final thoughts um josh you get some uh, final thoughts to share Zagazal, um, Zagazal. <laughs> Say again. Zagazal, Zagazal. Actually, Zagazal. you know what? This is what we'll do. We'll we'll make a the theme of our final thoughts. No, no, no. will yeah, be no, no. no, no let, the, the let, let, let Josh have the final thought on that versus battle. I have another final thought. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say the theme of the final thoughts could be the versus battle because I think that's a that's a that's a that's something that I I it's a positive aspect to me personally that I think that we could uh, share about. But yeah, go ahead, Josh. T- give give me your final thoughts. Uh, final thought on the versus battle. Um, <laughs> I think, as as Cam has so uh, has, has so illustriously pointed out, uh, yes, the 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 Beanie versus Bounty Killer, Beanie Man versus Bounty Killer battle was one for the ages. Less a battle, more a, a one of the illest dance hall concerts you've ever seen in your life, and probably the best verses of the series by. A few miles. Um, police tried to come and shut it down, and, and because of the curfew that they have in in Jamaica of eight p.m., and realized what was going on, and was like, "Okay, well, you know, we'll let you finish. Cool, no problem." <laughs> so funny, but but yeah, that was that that for me was just it. It was it was mind blowingly good. It was really really good. Zagazal, Zagazal. <laughs> Uh, I I want to chime in on your final thought. Um, both are I, this. It, it's it's one of my personal favorites because I had no personal bias with the RZA Primo battle, which I loved. I am a RZA. I'm I'm a I'm a fan of both, but I'm a Wu Tang right. fanatic. Um, true, true. And and RZA won, in my opinion, but that's another story for another day. Anyway, sure. Beanie Man has. Yeah, Beanie Man has a special place in my heart because uh, back in my single days, I got so much tail off his songs in the <laughs> reggae club. And Bounty Killer is like the hip hop like guy. He was like he had songs that I'm like, oh, yeah. yo, I forgot he did this. So they both were like killing, and it was a great clash. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we had the Jill Scott versus Badu, the Primo versus RZA. What I think by far this to me was the most entertaining. And the most meme-worthy outside of the babyface Teddy Riley uh, experience that I, I that I witnessed and listened to, 
Um, but yes, I agree. This is this was a very entertaining clash amongst two legends in the dance hall kingdom. And considering that they both used to have like major league, like I can't walk down the street and run into this guy beat. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. maybe yeah. five, six years ago. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They, they, those two were like, "Yo, if if I if I run into this dude on the street, on it might site. have to be on. Yeah. Like, I might yeah. have like one of us might have to go to jail." Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So that that was heartwarming to see these dudes like genuinely, you know, two people who were like mortal enemies and not just on some music rivalry on some like straight street beat. Yeah. Uh, being able to sort of hang out and perform together and enjoy and clearly enjoy each other's company. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. No, no, that's definitely true. Um, yeah. I well, first and foremost, I want to give a shout out to my man Defunk who uh, put this out into the ether and uh, low low key started this whole joint. Um, hey, yo, D Defunk was the catalyst. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. And it's it's. It's, so basically what it is, is he was having a conversation about uh, a party that they did in Brooklyn, not Brooklyn, Lower East Side. Uh, it was like a Neptunes versus Timberland party. And so it was dope because it was, you know, it's, oh, and yeah. It, yeah, you remember that joint? Yeah, it was small, like yeah, yeah, it was a small yeah, yeah, yeah. bar. It was a dope party. Like a lot of people pulled up to it. I think Fonte was there with his wife one time because he just happened to be in town. Mm-hmm. And like, but it was just a good, mm-hmm. fun time. It was one of the parts of New York that I miss is those little random pop-ups that you kind of just stumbled upon and it was really dope. But anyways, he was talking mm-hmm. about that and then he actually talked about, you know, other collashes that he would like to see. And then I think it was either, I think Missy, because Missy follows him, she retweeted that, Timbo saw that, and then kind of with Swizz and then that's how it kind of, the catalyst of starting the ball rolling. Um, mm, okay. And props to them for executing because they, you know, but um, yeah, yeah, I thought the um, the because I was basically doing two things at once. But I listened to you know part of the Benny Man and uh, Pounce Killer stuff. But then what I liked about the just in general, I liked that one the buy-in from all the artists to do it was actually pretty cool because I think the the level of ego to kind of calm down a little bit and just share that moment with the other person is dope. But then also like the little, the level of rivalry too. I thought that was actually pretty cool too, because it's like, you know, um, the John to Austin and Neo one was actually super dope because it was more about songwriting. I thought, and it was from an R and B perspective. A lot of people didn't understand, uh, the, the level of stuff that John to Austin had actually wrote for other people. Same with, um, mm. T pain and freaking uh, little John, which I always think would be stupid, but that was highly, entertaining because same thing those dudes wrote and produced for a lot of different people so they had a lot of random hits and then also they're just right. he- they're just hella funny people in general so it was a whole show basically yeah and then um and of course you know babyface and teddy riley the old men whatever but the the best thing about that the was disaster. yeah the, the best thing about that was going on spotify the next day and, and getting a, a a nice little playlist of dope ass babyface and teddy riley tunes <laughs> yeah. um but even even the ones that everyone forgot about, like Sean Garrett and freaking the Dream, not that anyone cares, not that certain people don't care about them, but like even them, like just a playlist of a lot of stuff they wrote for other people, and they like it's just a list of just music you might have forgot of, didn't know they did, whatever. But I think it was cool that they they kind of bounced around from the production to people that wrote and all that kind of stuff. I thought the um the the like you guys said, Bonnie Keller and freaking Beanie Man, that was crazy too. Because like you said, there's some that was a mortal death beef, <laughs> and the fact Word. that they both were like just like, yeah, we'll do it, and then we'll do a show together at the same time. Like that shit was crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, Two DJs, like what was that about? 
Yeah, same thing. <laughs> they had one you know? guy do the whole thing. <laughs> but um, and then also with the RZA and Primo, the thing to me that was cool was I was more interested in what they thought was dope songs and that they wanted to curate because that was the thing that I thought was the most interesting mm-hmm, of mm-hmm, all of mm-hmm. this is. The each artist kind of curated the songs that they felt were their, you know, their personal favorites or what they kind of put in brought into it. So I thought that was cool because, you know, Rizzo went through his whole cat went through a whole bunch of stuff and he didn't put he would he, did he put Triumph in the at the end or even at the uh after it was over. Yeah. Don't start with me. Don't start yeah, with me. I know, Cam, I know, I know. They they yeah, there was some there were some darts that Rizzo had. Both those did dudes did not throw. play yes. what they were supposed to play. Exactly. They they, they but they played. They missed a lot. Yeah, they but they played the stuff that they and that, that's the thing. Like that was part. No, nah, they they was tripping. But I Primo, think, but, Primo went easy. Primo has a catalog that look. Let me say this real quick about this. Primo has a catalog that people thought it was disrespectful to RZA that he wasn't gonna outlast. I'm like, which I fail to realize is, on I, 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 that ninety three to ninety seven. You can even stretch it to two thousand one. RZA mm-hmm. was God tier yeah. production. Yep, it's true. Agree. And, yeah, and to go 100%. 20 songs with Primo, I felt like Rizzo won, but there was a few songs that Primo kept in his bag that I was like, what the heck? Like, you supposed to been played this yeah. or played it. I think yeah. both of them. Yeah, both it, them. yeah and, that, and that's what I was saying. Like, I was curious. The, the biggest thing to me for Versus was I was curious what each artist played from curating from themselves, you know? Because it was like, mm-hmm, and I think mm-hmm. that's why for like, you know, Shit, Primo could have just played Group Home, <laughs> like it, yeah, yeah. Like, like legit. He could, that, some of his best work is Group Home as a full, you know, body of work. But it was cur- it was interesting to see each artist and what they felt was something that they were really proud of. And they wanted to go, you know, like I thought that's the part to me that for the, all the versus battles, whether you like the person, like I didn't even bother with Nelly and and Luda or whatever. But it was more about the curation of the artists and what they actually thought was, you know, their some of their heavy hitters or what they personally felt. Because like you said, Rizza's catalog is bananas so the, the fact that he had to barrel that down to 20 songs and those are the 20 that he that he picked that's super duper interesting you know so yeah that's well, the it, part it was I bullshit because uh, because we both took an l when primo played that christina Ag- aguilera beat and, <laughs> and, and, and rizza played something i was like his, oh we they both took an he, l he, 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 and, and rizza played a beat that wasn't even his i was like you cheating you gotta, like yo, Brooklyn Zoo is not his beat. Yo, Primo had to play his uh, his his uh, his Grammy win, man. You, gotta, you know you can't, nah. you can't he can't Listen, he can't not Primo could have played Primo could have played full clip twenty times in one. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah. But that's what I'm saying. Like I was curious to see that level of it was the the interesting parts of like what what they deemed and like you know same thing with the Eric Abadu and Jill Scott. I thought that was a smart and classy move by. Timbo and Swizz because that they knew how those how they are so they knew this wasn't gonna be no ego battle thing they knew this would be incense mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and cocoa butter all over that spot and that's exactly what it was and they gave wow. the, and they gave the people <laughs> what they wanted and they, it worked like you know yeah so, um cocoa butter camp hundred percent dude yo when they put that meme about uh everybody that used to wear these caps <laughs> is pulling yeah. pulling up I was like yo first of all I feel seen second of all. <laughs> I, I mean, that was the second time I felt like I was clean. When they put the the image of the the army cap, and they and it's like when you see this cap, this dude's gonna be talking about pyramids. I felt like I was a personal tag against me. <laughs> and then when they had the the knitted the the knitted cap, oh damn it! That was damn us. I got all. pictures. I got mm-hmm. pictures of me in both uniforms, so I felt attacked on both yep, times. Hundred percent, so Aquarian, um, so Aquarian area. But yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I think to me in general, it was two things. One. 
I'm glad it's happened and happening because it it's a good conversational piece. Two, I love that it's helping boost these amazing artists' numbers in terms of social reach and getting you know, the reshine right. a lot of their catalogs. I think that's freaking awesome. And then three, I just like that the everyone that's involved is having a good time and they're really enjoying it. And I think that that part of it is a is a positive part in a lot of the sea of the craziness that's going on that it's a good thing to look forward to like they're doing i think they're about to do gospel now next with freaking kirk franklin and Greg, and fred hampton or something like that which i'm like that's a no oh, wow yeah yeah but it's like that, that's a big one but that's what i'm saying like, so fred hampton fred hampton has been around forever yeah and so it's like, it's i was a teenager and fred hampton was doing gospel music. and so it's that you know it's the focusing on that type of music and it's um i i hope that they keep it in this realm of the the elder statesmen's of our sounds as opposed to like hey let's pull mm-hmm. in some young kid and some other young kid and let them like that be, that would be defeat the purpose and i'm, I'm glad well, well the young person doesn't have the catalog either that, that's yet. true too that's true too oh. true right. um that, that that won't be my final word. My final word is a little unrelated to verses. Yeah, so. yeah. We just just a mini uh, verses topic. That's because yeah. it's, it was, yeah. it's uh, good. My, my 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 final word is the literal transformation of Don Lemon that he went from <laughs> Zev Love X to MF Doom. Bro. I've never seen a transformation <laughs> like this, and his transformation is like talking about Deron Williams when he was a top ten point guard. When I say kids, believe me, Deron Williams was a problem. Don Lemon was a problem. <laughs> and see him be like an ally now is like MF Doom yeah. levels coming back to the New Yorkian with the mask on doing Operation Doomsday. I, I can't believe but, it. And people don't understand how big this thing was. I was like, y'all don't remember the Don Lemon I remember. This man was public enemy number the, one. The Don Lemon that went to, to, to New Orleans. And basically, I forget what craziness he said. Oh, people standing behind yeah. him were like, "What, bro? Yeah, <laughs> what I, are you I, talking about?" Right. Some now? people say it was a Talib interview. I don't know what happened. I but mean, all of a sudden, I think that was the Talib interview. Yeah, yeah. It, that was all of a sudden, That was a start. Flipped. That was the start. He that was the he start. went from Zev Love X to MF Doom all of a sudden, and I was like, "Y'all don't remember? I think that's, this ain't mm-hmm. the Don Lemon I remember." Yeah, and it's a good thing that he's this way, but. It's like, like I said, it's like talking about Deron Williams. People don't remember Deron Williams was a problem, a literal all star. He was the best point guard mm-hmm. in the league. But Don we Lemon saw got drunk on camera doing a live yes. spot. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I remember that. That was awesome. Well, Didn't he get his ear what? pierced or something like that, or his belly button pierced? Something ridiculous. I, I don't remember. Something, I don't know. Something. Corny. I don't know when. I don't know when they took his chip out or when he malfunctioned <laughs> and woke up. But. I'm just amazed at the transformation. And and I'm kind of wondering if Van Jones will ever come home because he said something kind of today that was that caught a lot of people off guard when he said uh, uh he said uh the problem is that the extremists, it's the problem is the middle people, the people in the middle. And he talked about the white liberals, the, the Hillary Clinton supporters that they're the biggest problem. And I was like, hey, my man spit, my man is spitting though, because and I, I think I, I, I kind of agree because we can't change the far extreme. What we can exchange, what we can change, is the people in the middle that are undecided, yeah. that don't have. It. You get what I'm saying? That's true. That's true. Right. So, right, right. so Van, Van, Van Jones was speaking some truth that people didn't want to hear. It's an uncomfortable truth. So I'm trying to figure that somebody unplug his chip, maybe. 
We don't know. Van Jones is, is the new Don Lemon. It, but the thing about Van Jones is, like, I would say he's better than Don <laughs> Lemon in respect that, like, he'll say his, his ratio is better. He'll, it, it, out of six things he says, three the to four. is better in his resume is longer. Yeah. Out of six things that he says, three to three to four things are good, and then two things is like, oh, dude, really? So, there's uh, a problem, but he may be having a come to home, come to Jesus moment pretty soon, like Don Lemon and Al Roker has in the past. But like I said, Don Lemon's transformation is <laughs> MF Doom level type transformation. No one remembers NBC. Al Roker has always been a G. He just hasn't had the plat. He just hasn't had the voice to say what he wanted to say. Uh, and the, Al- the the cachet. Like, yeah, Al, Al point, Roker was the happy go lucky. He could yep. kill somebody live on air on NBC, and it wouldn't matter. I know. Al- like, oh, Al- that's that's Al. Yeah, Al-, <laughs> Al Roker was the happy go lucky dude, and then one day he was like, "I'm tired of the bullshit." <laughs> And he flipped. Yeah. Don so Lemon having, has on many occasions I can tell like you, said anything. I can tell you, having worked at, at, at NBC, Al Roker has always been that guy. Okay. You walk into, you walk in, you run into him in the hall of, of, of 30 Rock. He's always been that guy. Well, it's there you have it. Had a, he had to play a role. He was uh, like, yo, I got to do the weather. What am I, what am I, what am I, how am I going to address the ills of the world in the three minutes that I have to do the weather? There <laughs> so you have it. Was, it. Was Straight from the working mouth. Yeah. <laughs> For reals. Yeah, until <laughs> until he had the platform to actually, you know, once they moved him over to, to Good Morning America, that was I'm not was, is it Good Morning America? Today show. Sorry. Today show, yeah. yeah, once, yeah. He, once they moved him over to the Today Show, it's a wrap. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Dude got his, he, he, they they gave him a bigger paycheck, they gave him a bigger role. He wasn't just doing the weather. And he is a quote unquote personality now. Yeah. Oh, it's it's finished. He, I'm, it's finished. I'm, wait, I'm waiting for uh I'm waiting for Don Level Don Lemon to uh put some twists in his hair. And just like <laughs> so the, that's when you know the comfort, the the transformation has been complete. But mm-hmm. yo, it's I, it is funny to watch it because my I laugh because my dad watches CNN and he likes John, Don Lemon. And I'm talking about two, three years, four years ago, Don Lemon, not today's Don Lemon. So it's so to see the transformation of like every time I see to see them there, I'm just like, oh man, what are you doing? To now where I'm like, oh. Damn, son. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he was like, yeah, yeah, there's he's, two diseases. He's dark. There's two diseases in America right now: COVID nineteen and racism. <laughs> that was yeah. I think I think uh, I think Cam, you were the one who posted that yeah, in the chat. I, 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 I had to. I had to read that a few times and be like, is that Don Lemon? Dude, over that yo, lower third where yo, they said that. He, His man, putting in work. Yo, boy. man, he what? he was basically you know talking to uh, Cuomo. About the George Floyd situation and talking to him, he's like, you know, Chris, you know, you're my friend. We spend time together. He's like, what if that was me? What if it was me with someone on my neck? Mm. And like, he was going in, mm. and I was like, whoa, Don, you all right? <laughs> like I said, MF Doom, <laughs> MF Doom, like, this fool, this president, he went from is scared. <laughs> he went from black bastards to Operations Doomsday and Mad Villainy. Dude, I don't know what happened. Tom, hey, man. I mean, man, he was like, yo, what? He's like Trump. Why are you scared of Obama? Because he went to a better school. Mm. That he because he graduated and he has a master's. That he's a better like he was like, damn, dude. <laughs> Don Lemon has been yeah, talking reckless, <laughs> reckless. Well, once Trump tried to come for him, that was the, the gloves were off, and I'm sure somebody at CNN had to talk to him like, yo, you could dot 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 dot. Yeah, if you wanted. That I agree with you. I agree with you on that. But yeah, you know you're like word. No, you're I right can. though. You're right though. He, he the the transformation of Don Lemon right at this moment for to literally a year ago it has been crazy. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like straight up body snatcher, put in the completely. He's he's channeling the the ghost of his ancestors right now. And <laughs> amen. So, and actually, I'm a that we'll leave it on that. You know what? Props to Don Lemon. I don't think I'd ever say that in my lifetime. <laughs> amen. So we live Everybody in so, we live in strange times. You. <laughs> Dude, we yeah. used to clown. Us three used to clown Don Lemon all the time, and so we live. Us in, three used to clown Don. We, Lemon. we live in strange times where Taylor Swift is our is our ally. <laughs> oh, Don Lemon is an activist. <laughs> have we accepted Taylor Swift? I, I, you know, accepted Taylor Swift and, and the Swifties. You know what? I'm not going to say. I'm not, I'm not going to say. Here we go. End it on that. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I'm not going to say accepted. I'm just like, yeah. The conversations <laughs> that have been had, I'm just like, wow. We are in a weird parallel universe. So we might. As we well. are not giving any more mm. place to the cookout. Yeah. Zagazow, zagazow. Oh, that's my final. That's my final word. You know, my final word is uh, shout out to Jesus uh, Amaro. And the way that they interview people is because there's a level of interviewing that they have kind of started to really come into their own. But they, one, the the different types of people they interview is awesome. But also, I like that a lot of people that do interview with them drop a lot of their pretense and be more comfortable. And it's something that you don't get to see a lot. Mm -hmm. And so one of my favorite interviews recently is they interviewed um, Representative uh, Katie Porter, who's a freaking G just off the rip. but. Mm But mm-hmm. she's she's known for um, giving uh, Jamie Dimon, the CEO of Chase, uh, the business, freaking making fucking Ben Carson look even more of a fool than he already is. But mm-hmm. um, they interviewed her and she was freaking literally so hilarious and awesome because the way she was just one, you could tell that she was comfortable. But two, the when they interviewed her, you know, we're all doing Zoom and whatnot. So she was just like, yo. I'm actually in my minivan right now because my daughter is da 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 blah blah blah. They're like, "Yo, that's crazy." They're like, "Yo, do you ride around and rock with it?" She's like, "Oh yeah." She's like, "I live with a bunch of uh, freaking um, suburban mom bitches that have Escalades and shit and can't freaking fit nothing in their car. They always call me so they use it." And we're there, just like, "Yeah, talk that shit." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but but I like that the the level of comfortability that people have when they talk to them uh, allows for better conversation. And I think, you know, whether people think they're, you know, corny or whatever, whatever, that's to me is irrelevant, but like they have started to, uh, yeah, they, they've, they've gotten a good, um, they're starting to get a good reputation of having good conversation with people that you wouldn't think would have, they would have conversations with. And I think, you know, they're, they're still not there to a level yet, but I think that they're with each one. And as they move forward, they've getting, they're just getting better and better. And they're still sticking to, you know, their uh, authenticity of being two dudes from the Bronx and kind of bringing that energy to when they talk to people. And I think that's something that's actually been pretty dope when they talk to Dr. Fauci, like Katie Porter, they had a good conversation with uh, Jesse Williams uh freaking uh what's the dude from uh vogue uh billy porter and so billy porter yeah, yeah. and they had good they just had great conversations with each person about the things of that you know billy porter was talking about trans rights and being a black gay man and being fashionable and all that kind of stuff jesse a williams talking about activism and acting and all these things the, their mm-hmm. interview with freaking david letterman was freaking phenomenal to the point where at the end letterman had a very sincere and honest moment where he was kind of like yeah yeah you too you know what if I could do it, this is the type of show I'd want to do where you guys are just shooting the shit, drinking and having a good time and, and having good conversation. So it was, there, there's a certain level that like 
that I think that they're starting to tap into. And I, I'm glad that people like Showtime and the folks that they're working with are allowing to foster that even more. Because like, to me, they're getting better and better about refining that. And it's not just, you know, them just, they're, they're still, you know, spitballing and shooting the shit, but they're starting to actually um, have meaningful conversations that I think will, if they, if they mm-hmm. continue on this track, could definitely be something, some heavy hitter type shit as, as time goes on. So props to them. Yeah, yeah, man. For sure. Props to those dudes. All right, man. Well, this has been a crazy conversation. We ran, we ran longer than we normally did, but there's a lot to talk about. Zegas out. Zegas out. <laughs> so, uh, thanks for everybody for listening. This is the Table of Truth, and we out. You can listen and download to all of our episodes of the Table of Truth on iTunes. Just search the Table of Truth podcast.